Good evening. Wilkinson here. This is an evening podcast being recorded, and I'm back with my buddy, Ideen, from L.A., and she's insisted on putting me in the hot seat and taking over my mic, so we're going to do that. Hold on. All right. It's good to be back. My name is Ideen, and as you've heard, we are switching roles here tonight. This is going to be Pillow Talk with Ideen, and today we are going to interview Wilkinson, on how he became Wilkinson. So as some of you might know, before there was Wilkinson, there was a Jim. And I'm assuming before there was a Jim, there was a James. But I met him as Jim, and I met you 2000, in 2016 in Seattle when I was couch surfing with my boyfriend. So I saw a very unique side of you. If you could just tell me right now, what, what kind of person were you in 2016? Who was the guy I met in Seattle? Well, that was prior to my five years of energy work, working with uh, Mark Hollenstein down here, and prior to moving to Southern California, which is a big change for everything. I'd been on a journey for about 20 years uh, once I came out. And so that, that, that's been a major growth process in that 20 year. But who was I in, at that time? Um, I was extremely social. We talked before about having over 650 people in my house, international travelers. And by the way, people will say, why did you do that? The reason I did it is because I was thinking I would be making some kind of a move and it would be nice to do a, possibly do a hostel, either buy one or build one. And I thought couch surfing is a way to check out this without me investing anything or putting out any effort. And so I wanted to see what, that was all about. And I, I got my answer from the couch surfers and I would never do a hostel because <laughs> I heard all the horror stories of all the stuff that went on. But that's another, that's another episode. Who was I? I had already changed from being the married man before my divorce. And I had three kids. I was a men's minister in a church. I had a very unpleasant experience through the whole church thing. Uh, basically, I didn't get booted, but I might as well have been. Uh, they just shunned me and stopped talking to me after, you know, giving for 30 years or whatever in minis various ministry positions. So that was pretty hurtful. And it started my journey on where I am today. I, I don't believe what I believed back then. I would say I'm a spiritual person now, and I've expanded greatly from where I, where I was at that point. But, you know, I've always loved people, and that's why... I had so much fun with all the couch surfers. So pretty much it's me, but I'm just, I'd say, refining it for the last five years. Were you as social as you are now and as you were since I met you in 2016? Were you this social when you were married? Well, I had restrictions on, you know, I didn't do anything with, you know, international travelers or gay guys visiting me and staying with me in uh, Palm Springs at Air, on Airbnb. But yeah, I was pretty social. I was always an extrovert. And uh, in another one of my podcasts, I talk about some of that. But, you know, we had a church in our house. We started various other churches. We helped do that. We entertained the whole church at our house for parties a couple times a year. I had weekly meetings and stuff going on. So, yeah, I've, I've always been social. Yes. I didn't know you were that. I mean, I knew you were involved in the church. I just didn't know it was this involved. Right. Um, would, so just out of curiosity, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? Did you believe that then? I really didn't know that much about it. Yes, I was on the side. Well, I, I went to, I never, I never realized I was gay. I knew I was attracted to men. And I went for, I think it was seven years or so to the quote unquote ex-gay ministries where they fix you. And it wasn't that I was gay and I was out fooling around and I needed to change that behavior. That's not what was going on. I was attracted to men and we call that same sex attraction in the church. And I tried to get quote unquote fixed. Well, it doesn't work. I didn't know anything about gay. When I came out to myself, which was in France in the uh, end of 2019, I looked at my whole life and I just said, duh, you know, come on. <laughs> You said 2019. It wasn't 2019. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> it was 1999. Okay. Let's, okay, let's yeah, I'm like, scratch. Ooh. No, that, no, no, no. That was like, no, that was three. You're right. 
maybe we shouldn't do a podcast at night, but I'm kind of <laughs> a little fuzzy here. But no, it was 1999 when I was in uh, in France, not 2019. You're correct. So the first time you came out, realized you were gay was yep. 1999. Yep. And no point before that, you knew you were attracted to men, but at no point before that did you actually think, I am gay? Nope. So do you believe you're born with it or it's some, you know, nurture versus nature? Which one are you on? It's who I've always been. It's not a choice. It's just something that is is there and you don't have any, you don't have any choice on it. It's not like, oh, I decided I'm going to be gay. No, it's, it's something that I finally woke up to and I accepted that I would be my authentic self, who I really was because the, all the church stuff and the religious stuff and everybody I knew and what I believed was all, you know, against all that. How can you be against somebody being who they are? I mean, that's ridiculous. So it's maybe it's Maybelline or maybe he's born with it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe he's born with it. When you realized you were attracted to men, did you tell someone? How did you confront this issue with the church? How this Well, start? I had already basically... I had been given the boot, not officially, but unofficially, as I said, they shunned me. So I, I stopped going to the church. But they shunned that, you after? That was when, that was when I, we were legally separated six months before we were divorced. So because you don't get separated and you don't get divorced. So that was the main problem. So at the point of separation, legal separation is when all that occurred. Then it wasn't, you know, later, six months later was the divorce. And then, you know, a little over half a year later, Oh, by the way, I figured out I'm gay. But I, those people were out of my life at that point. I mean, they they stopped talking to me. My Some of my best friends just stopped. Wow. So it's like three sins, you're out? Yep. Wow. Okay. So how did your kids take it? I think pretty well. So the story is I came out to myself in France. I came home, read a couple of books on coming out. It said it can take 10 years. I said, I don't have time for this. <laughs> so I... Uh, I would make a short list of the people that were still in my life that loved me and cared about me, which I thought literally would be a very short list, my family and some friends. Well, when I was done with the list, there was 61 names on the list to my utter shock after losing, quote unquote, all of my friends, because the church was our whole social network. That was our friends, everything. But I still had that many people. So on day one, the first day I was, you know, coming out, my first I, had, I met with my oldest son and his wife at lunch, my middle son at four o'clock, my ex-wife at five o'clock, my youngest son at six o'clock, and my brother and three sisters on the phone on the East Coast, end of day one. They took it pretty well. I mean, there's a couple of funny stories on there, but... That's a big day. So, yeah, that was a big day. My friends called it the scorched earth policy. Jim and Jill are... They have a interracial marriage. So Jill is black, Jim is white. And I thought they would be the ideal ones to start with because, you know, they've had some issues themselves with other people and things like that. So, and and it, it went fine. Now they are, they're pretty religious right now. They do love me. I, I understand that, but we don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And, uh, and so there's, there's kind of an issue there. The other, the other two guys are, are fine. Some would say that you're kind of lucky because you kind of had the best of, I mean, you lived both worlds. I'm not one to say it was the best, but it's kind of cool because you did get married, did the marriage thing. You have kids, you, you're now going to live on your, your genetics will live on. So, and then now you get to also dabble with men. I mean, in one way it's kind of cool because not too many people can say they have all three. Well, when I was in Seattle for 10 years, I belonged to the gay fathers group. The gay fathers group basically middle-aged guys that are married, they have kids and they discover they're gay and they go through the process. It's a support group. They go through the process of getting divorced. For two years, I was the president. You know, a lot of those guys damned the day that they got married. And how could I do that? And it's what you're talking about. I've got three great sons and how could I wish that they didn't exist? I, I couldn't do that. Now on the other side of the coin is, yes, I missed a lot. One of the first podcast interviews was with a couple guys from Seattle, 25 and 26. And I look at them and that's what the podcast is about because I look at them and their world is totally different from my world. You know, I mean, that's just normal. If they fall in love, they're going to get married. They're going to adopt kids. That's the way it is. 
but that's foreign. That was absolutely foreign to me. And I just sit back and I wonder, I've got all these guys that come and visit, you know, me on uh, um, Airbnb and they're, they're couples and it's just normal for them. But that wasn't my, my world. That wasn't my experience. But again, what you said, I look at it, even though there's that kind of, I'd say sad part of it that I didn't have any of that, but yet, you know, I had that life and now I have this life and I, I have something in my sons and that, that uh, a lot of gay guys will never experience in their I mean, some would be jealous, but they they wish that they could have what I have. So that's the other side of the coin. I met your, one of your sons too, and he was a sweetheart. Which one do you remember? Your middle, your middle son. Oh, David, the lawyer. He, well, he was in Seattle when I was there visiting. Maybe he was the youngest. No, the youngest. That's uh, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're all spread over. Them. Jonathan's in Texas. David is in Dartmouth. I would say Dartmouth, Dartmouth, but they they correct me. Dartmouth, Massachusetts, and Jim and Jill are down in North Carolina. Well, I'm happy to hear that you're close with them. Um, I do have to ask, even though you, I already know, and you probably already mentioned on your other podcast, but can you tell us in a few words what happened in Paris? How did what went down well, in I Paris? Went, to I went. I went with two friends from my church. A side note is wow. one of them came out as gay years later. You know, we didn't we didn't talk about anything. Oh my god, what is the, what's going so on with the water we went, in Paris? We went as three gay or not gay, three straight guys, <laughs> three friends who went to Paris. So the one was a bodybuilder, and let's just say his way of relating in Paris and being a tourist wasn't exactly on the same page as where I was. And I wasn't gonna put up with that. Uh, you don't want to be obnoxious in any foreign country, you know that you're a traveler, mm -hmm. especially Paris of all places. Yeah. Come on. Ugh. So after about two days of putting up with some of the stuff, I just said to them, you need to go on your way. I'm going to, I'm going to be here by myself. So I was planning on being with them for two weeks. So I had the rest of that two weeks. And then I had a third week. I was going to go up to York and visit some friends. And I went to Belgium and stuff like that. So I basically had almost three weeks alone. And now this is in 1999, so the internet was fairly new. Phones, you know, you didn't just pick up your phone and you have worldwide calling. I mean, it was a big deal calling back and I, so I didn't use my phone. So basically I'm alone and I have a lot of gym time, as we said back then. And I would say Wilkinson time if we talked now. So uh, I looked at my life. I looked at the whole thing and I said, duh. <laughs> You are gay. And I finally said the words to myself. So that's what happened. I did not have any gay experiences over there. It was just all internal stuff, internal work. And how did that feel? It felt freeing, and yet it was scary because I knew I would be coming home and what would happen? You know, would my kids stop talking to me? You know, I didn't know what was going to go on. It turned out okay, but I didn't know at that point. So I had I had mixed feelings on it. But I was excited because one of the things and one reason why I came out the way I did in what my friends would call the scorched earth policy, like boom, is because I've always felt being authentic is super, super, super important. And once I realized I was gay, I could not live any lie anymore. So that's why I did it. <laughs> I think you're very brave, but you already know that. Did your... And this might be painful to ask, but I just want to answer. But um, how did your wife take it when you came back? My ex-wife at that point. Yeah. Her main comment was she said she was sad. That was her comment. Now, I'm not blame gaming or anything like that. But as is the case with many wives, you can have all kinds of other issues. We got divorced, not because I was attracted to men, not certainly not because I was gay, because I didn't know I was gay. But we had a lot of issues from day one, and we were married a long time. So when the husband says, oh, I'm gay, a lot of times that will let the wife off the hook. Mm. Okay, well, you're gay. Well, that's why nothing worked out. You know, on some level, that may be true. I, I can remember one instance, because we, we could not go out for a meal without getting into a fight, literally. We would go out for a dinner somewhere and we'd have a fight. I remember saying to her one day, and this was like, a precursor to me coming out to myself. And I, of course, I wasn't thinking any of that, but I was so frustrated. And I said to her, I don't know what you need or what you want, but I know I don't have it in me. And I didn't. And the reason now looking back, 
I didn't is because I'm gay and I'm attracted to men, not to a woman. You know, not that we didn't have, you know, when you're young and you're married, you're going to have lots of sex and, you know, you don't think about a lot of that stuff. And that, that was the case in our case. I mean, we had three kids and five mis- miscarriages. So, you know. <laughs> you know, it's happening a lot nowadays, though, this same scenario that you're explaining, but it's happening at like a younger age for some people. I know I've seen on TikTok. I know personally a friend of mine, his wife divorced him and came out as a lesbian. It's just interesting to see how quickly people are changing in their own partnerships. Well, just a side note, in the in the gay fathers group, it was kind of funny because this happened a number of times. The husband would come out, and then a little while later, the wife would come out as a lesbian. So No but way. It, yeah, no, wow. true. And it, and it makes you wonder, that's probably, on some level, that's probably what attracted them to each other in the first place, was there was some understanding or something going on, you know, but... But it was kind of funny that that happens. That's interesting. Yeah. Also, what I love is that you managed to be the president of this club. Did you start this club? No. No, and it was an association. It wasn't a club. It was a support group. Kind of like AA, but It's so interesting. There's so many support groups. There's a support group for everything I'm learning these days. So you think there's one of those in every town, every city? Married men who came out as gay? No. Who have children? No, there's (laughs) no. I mean, there's support groups for everything. Palm Springs is all kinds of support groups for, you know, addictions here. It's it's pretty big. So for anybody listening, if you found yourself in this situation <laughs> that Jim had in 1999, look out for these support groups. They're right. out there. Yep. Um, okay. So fast forward, I meet you in 2016. So we're looking at at least 20 years later. Wait, it was my math. 17 years later. Right. Is that the math? Okay. So- 17 years later, you're comfortable in your new space, your new, you know, this new version of you that you get to exercise. I saw right away that you're very artistic, right? The house was full of photographs of beautiful men, some also even beautiful women. You had books, you had albums of like not very interesting storytelling. Right. Um, what made you get so creative and artistic? Was this something you always had in you or what, what drew you to photography and this world? Because you you dove in it. Like, I when I came in your house, this is someone who's passionate right. about something. Well, when I was a teenager, I remember I had a Polaroid camera. And I would do all these artsy, shadowy pictures and stuff like that. You know, like, in fact, I had, uh, like, a statue. It was a book. I remember. I hadn't thought of this in years. It was, like, bookends of the discus thrower. You know, that that mm. thing. And so I... I I did a silhouette, like a shadow thing. So it looked actually like I had taken a picture of it, but I did it on a Polaroid. You know, I did all that. And of course, when you're married, you know, I have thousands of photos I took of the kids and the family stuff. But it wasn't until that trip to France that I finally picked up a camera and started. I'd say the passion popped out at that point. My first uh, photography show in Seattle was uh, European Architectural Images boring yeah yeah <laughs> but they were good and it was fun and it got me started it started in 1999 and then i went back uh in 2000 i went uh to italy with a friend and uh just took of course i had it really wasn't digital at that point so i would come home and i would have to print you know 900 or a thousand photos and then you know you throw away 750 of them you know, digital is way better you have a quite a bit of, well, quite a large art collection. I do. Where did you get on? And they're all focused I've on always, one topic. I've always, where... been, I've always been artistic and I've always loved art. My tastes have changed. I mean, back when I grew up, my family in New York, they had uh, estate stores and antique stores. So I, I had collected, you wouldn't believe the stuff I collected as a, as a teenager. I mean, all these antique, I collected antique toys, but I would, you know, I would collect, collect, max out on it and then get rid of it. I remember I had looking back a a box full of very rare cast iron cars with interchangeable parts. I've never seen anything since Uh, mechanical banks, a whole box full of this stuff. And I remember my parents had the store and an auctioneer would come in and look, you know, look for stuff. And uh, I remember I I sold them the box of stuff for, I think $125, the entire thing. I had a, a copper 
mechanical bank. I've never seen another one. It was made out of copper. I mean, who has that? But anyway, when I, that this is kind of a, an aside, but a funny story. So I collected all this stuff. I'm not a hoarder, but I'm a collector. I like collecting stuff. So when the divorce was final, I was spending the last month in the, the house that we had when we were married. I eventually sold it. But I, I held my own estate sale and I got rid of almost everything I owned at that estate sale. Because I, I, of course, I, I wasn't looking forward to, oh, I'm going to be gay and I want a new life. I just wanted a fresh start. In fact, one of the kind of wild things is the last night in that house, I used to journal and I had a stack of journals, maybe, I don't know, 12, 14 inches, 16 inches high, just for 30 years worth of journals. And I sat in my last chair I had, I had one chair left. I sat in front of the big old fireplace and this was a 1910 house that we had. And I sat there and I kind of thumbed through it. I would write poetry occasionally. So I pulled, I ripped those pages out, but I threw the journals into the fire and burned 30 years worth of journals that night. And then the next day, the house had closed, I think on a Friday and I had to give them the keys on a Monday. So this was Monday morning. So I I cleared out, you know, my last few things out of the house and I got into my car and it had like a circular driveway. And I remember I I looked at the house and then I backed my car out the circular driveway and I just drove away and I never looked back. So that was the beginning right there of something very new. That is a very bold, bold move. I feel like hoarders and collectors worldwide just just <laughs> shed a tear. You, you know, on that on that estate <laughs> sale, I had so much fun. I'll tell you one short story. So a couple of years before I had been down in California and I bought these two shirts. For me, they were expensive at the time. I didn't spend a lot of money on clothes. They were 70 bucks each, which to me was a lot. They weren't 20 bucks at, you know, Macy's or whatever it was, the bond back then. But they had rounded corners. The collars were rounded. Right. And they were really, really ugly. I don't know what I was thinking. I wore one shirt one time and I had the other one there. It still had the $70 price tag. It was in my quote unquote estate sale. So I, I kind of toyed with people and I had fun with it. Well, you know me, I'm always doing yeah. stuff like that. So I have $5 on the shirt. So this guy walks up, the $70 price tag is on it. It's got $5 and he says, will you take three fifty? And I said to him, I paid $70 for the shirt. It's brand new. It's still in the packaging. I said, I've got $5 on it. Will I take $350? No, I will not. But I will take $250. And it blew his mind. You could see his mind go. That's so cute. (laughs) Because you don't. You don't go lower than what he wants. Man, you're really trying to get rid of stuff. I did. I had I had two really really good pieces, some old pastels that belonged to my grandmother's, and they were a fall scene, uh, kind of a pastoral scene, woods, and there was oranges and yellows, which are not my colors. As you can look around, it's you know blues and grays and black and brown. I had a really low price of a couple hundred bucks on them, but this girl came. And I knew that she wasn't a dealer and she was loved them and she wanted them, but all she had was $20. So I let her have them for 20 bucks. Jeez. This is what we, <laughs> this is what we need to do. We need to find the men who are at their breaking point. We got to find their estate sales. <laughs> there, there you go. Wow. That's how you get the good deals, folks. It really does break my heart that you burnt your journals. I, you I know, I looked back and, I, and I, I've thought about that and I thought, why did I do that? But, you know, I, and I don't know why I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I know why I did it. And it was a subconscious thing, I think, because when I was in the church and I was writing those journals, I was begging God to change me for all of those years. That was a step on my journey to where I am today. But I, I, I didn't want that anymore. And I didn't know why I want, didn't want it, but I knew that I had to move on from that. And I wanted to get rid of that. And so I did it. I'm very happy for you. <laughs> I do want you to know that because I, I know it's not easy. Yep. And that's why I think, well, I know, I don't think. I know that when I first met you and you told us your story mm-hmm. and then we stayed friends and then we saw you in California, I knew that, okay, this is actually a real friendship. This is a real connection. And like I said earlier, this is what I, this is why I believe we bond. Right, we're both kind of freaks of nature. <laughs> and well, maybe no you one. more than I, but it's <laughs> well, fine. That's 
for sure. Or me. Um, but I know how hard it is. This past weekend, I went to a wedding, and my best friend has been struggling with coming out to his parents. And we're Iranian, and coming out as gay to Iranian parents is... Woo. Yeah. It's worse than coming out as a comedian <laughs> to Iranian Uh-oh. parents. But um, no, my, my, my friend is a sweetheart, and he's been dealing with this, and... He finally made a stance. He put his foot down. He told his parents that he's bringing his boyfriend this weekend, and he did. And his, sadly, his dad did not show up mm. because he knew he was bringing his boyfriend. His dad did not show up, but his mom did. Now, his mom never looked at her, his boyfriend once, never said hello to him. So it was still really, still really messed up, and it was hard to watch. But at the same time, I knew that that was like the first step into like this becoming right. the Norman. So it was a really big weekend and I was really proud of him. I don't know. It just makes me sad that this is still, you know, such a big issue across all cultures and communities and groups. It's so messed up. I mean, it's 2022. Right. I feel like we've come so far. We're literally about to like, in my mind, like push a button and be able to travel through like space and time. Like we're entering the metaverse soon. And and we're literally, people are complaining about gays. Like, I just can't believe this. Well, and they're trying to reverse a lot of the stuff that's happened the last 50 or 70 years. That's the bad part. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What's happening right now and that whole thing, it's like, like that's just too painful to discuss without getting angry. So we'll stick to this one because it's something we've been dealing with for a lot of years. But yeah, let's not talk about that one. It sucks. Because um, <laughs> I just get really angry. So basically, I met you in Seattle and now fast forward, so that was 2016. Now fast forward, you end up moving to Palm Springs, California. What made you want to do this move? I mean, I can guess the cold weather, but what drew you to California? Well, when I was in Seattle, before I met you, I was with my ex, Jeffrey. I wanted a change of locale. So Jeff said, well, you're not going to like Palm Springs. You'll like Phoenix. And so we, the first place we went was Phoenix. And I'm sorry if anybody's listening and they live in Phoenix, but well, I'm sorry you live in Phoenix, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but you know, it's like urban sprawl. It just goes on forever. It was totally boring. I didn't like anything about it. There was nothing I liked about it there. Then uh, we came down to Palm Springs, I think 2010 maybe was the first year. And my friends, Glenn and Kurt, owned the house next door. I rented that house for us. Uh, like three or four weeks at a time for probably five or six, maybe seven years. We came down that many times for three or four weeks at a time. And I absolutely fell in love with Palm Springs. So when I started selling my properties in Seattle, at first I bought this house as a second home and I was keeping the one up there and going to go back and forth. And then I was going to go back and forth on real estate, get my license down here. And then things just you know, progressed. And I, I don't like the gray and the cold and the wet, and it's gotten way too crowded. It's gotten way too dirty in real estate. The traffic is just beyond ridiculous with Amazon and everything there. It, I mean, what used to take me 15 minutes would take an hour to get anywhere. And it was, it was unbelievable. I think, I think one of the click moments for me was I worked downtown in the high rises on uh, Windermere Real Estate and the Wall Street office downtown. It was the holidays, I don't know, probably middle of December. This, And I'm sitting there and I am the second car from the intersection. And I started counting and the light turned, I think it was 13 or 14 times and we didn't move uh, one car. And I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I've got to start thinking about getting out of here. So I think that was the beginning of that. Are you happy with living here? I love it here. The community is really great. Have you fallen in love yet since being here? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I did have, I would call him my COVID boyfriend, Rick. Ooh, and and I, truly, I truly did love him. I, I do love him. He's a good guy. But uh, it just didn't work out. He moved down from Alaska but, you know, the good news about that is that we were together start to finish probably seven months, and it was mostly during COVID. And going back to what you asked me earlier, am I, have I always been a people person, an extrovert, blah, blah, blah? Yes. I would have gone nuts if I didn't have somebody here. Now, the other side of it is I would not recommend 
trying to get into a new relationship when you're locked down in a house 24 seven. It's just not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was, it was good to have him. He's, he's a really great guy. We just, I, I, I think the bottom line is probably our energies didn't match. That's really what it was. But, you know, we're friends. In fact, I just uh, bought his Jeep from him last week, and uh, he's moving on. He's, he's, he's staying here. He's, he lives in, in the area, but uh, he wants to go back to nursing school. And so he needs to change some things. He's got like three vehicles, and he doesn't need three. So, uh, so I bought that, and it helped him out, and it helped me out. So I'm excited about that. I remember when you guys visited me during COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys came to L.A. Yep. We hung out on my rooftop six feet I apart. Remember that. I remember that. I remember the colorful T-shirt you were wearing or the button down. Did we wear masks then? I guess we probably did. Or maybe we were we outside. We were on my roof and we you were on the roof, six feet away. Didn't, yeah, yeah, we didn't wear masks. Apart. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. How'd you guys meet again? We met on Facebook in 2019 and then he wanted to be a model so he came down for a photo shoot in, I think it was March of 2020, right before things started coming unglued. And then we hit it off immediately, like big time, probably the biggest instant thing I've ever had. And same with him. And uh, he went back and we spent 200 hours FaceTiming just to kind of make sure. And then he moved down here in, I think it was May or June of uh, 2020. And then we were together till October. That's interesting. So it's not like Tinder or Grindr, it's Facebook. Yeah. It's always a platform. Isn't that funny? It is because I don't know how you meet on Facebook. I've, you know, I've never online dated. I am the only, I think the only person alive. I've yet, I mean, I'm not saying I never will. I have, here's what's funny. I have couch surfed, okay? <laughs> I've met you on couch surfing. I was willing to meet a stranger on an app and say, hello, can I please sleep on your couch? You never slept on a couch, by the way. That's you, true. You had a nice bedroom. Well, I, I slept on the ground on a blow up at your house. <laughs> on a what? On a blow up. It still was a nice one with a foam topper, as I recall. It was It was nice. It was like yeah. a queen size. Yeah. So it's funny to me because I've never online dated, but I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, I will literally couch surf, but I will not go meet a stranger at like a public restaurant. Part of me is a romantic and I've always just want to meet somebody, you know, authentically. I'm kind of a... Right. I'm kind of a girl in that sense. I'm a little bit of a romantic in that sense, but... Well, you don't sound like a girl. I know. I, isn't this... <laughs> you have a deeper voice than I do, almost. This, why it's pillow talk <laughs> with Ideen, Jim. There you go. <gasps> I mean, Wilkinson. <gasps> That's right. We haven't gotten to the year where you became Wilkinson yet. So I'm still right now currently in 20... Well, let's say, what year did you move to LA? I mean, Palm Springs? Uh, I bought the house in October of 16 and moved here in the summer of 17. Oh, shit. The name so change. Okay, so 16. I am, my birth certificate, I'm James Wilkinson. As an aside, I'm James Wilkinson the eighth, which doesn't count in snob circles because they always change the middle name. And so it kind of voids everything. But anyway, James Wilkinson, my professional life, real estate and everything else, I was Jim. And it's just, it just naturally evolved into something. I wanted something different. I wasn't really ever that crazy about Jim. And I had a couple friends that would call me Wilkinson. And I thought about that. And I, I just really like that. It's more memorable, actually, than Jim. People seem to remember the name better. So, But I like it. And I think it fits for the time I'm in my, in my life right now. So why not? So what was James became Jim? What was Jim became Wilkinson? Yeah. I think I'll probably end this way. The show will end with Wilkinson. Well, it was nice to meet you, Wilkinson. Thank you. Good to have you on today's show. Thank you. Are we done? No. Oh. <laughs> but I was, that was one way to end it if you want to. No. Okay. Well, that's there. But um, no, I'm not done asking about Wilkinson. So, so you, you met online and I know, you know, COVID, yada, yada. So what do you think? Is it hard to, okay, I, the whole time I've known you, you know, walking into your house, seeing all of your art, getting to know you as a person, inviting strangers in your house who are most of the time pretty insane. Um, And actually some of them I've become friends with. Right. You know, Arnie, I still talk to and I hope to see him again. If you're listening, we miss you. Um, I had a lot of fun the whole time I was there. I know James did. He stayed for a month with you. And then actually the whole time too, we, we gathered that you are also a romantic You've always mentioned how you want to fall in love and how you want to get married. And 
You know. Well, yeah, but that may be changing as well. Oh, now, snap. Mark, now, my Mark. Cue my, the music. Really? <laughs> Miami well, Mark, Vice. Mark, my energy guy. You know, before I met Rick, the fall before I met Rick, I said to Mark, you know, in thinking about a potential relationship, you know, I have this idea of, I call it the white picket fence. And obviously that's not my style and I would never have a house with a white picket fence, but you know what I mean? You know, just, you know, you get married, you, you know, you cook dinner, blah, blah, blah. Netflix and chill. Yeah, everything. I don't know that I want that. And I, I said that maybe I need a partner. Obviously I'm not a spring chicken. And maybe what I really want or need is the same as another guy might need, which is to be with somebody, but not to live with them 100%. You know, oh my God, you want to hit it in I have it, my spot, I have my place, he has his place. We don't have to compromise and feel miserable. You know, I, I remember Michael, my second partner, you know, I, I, mo I moved on from the antique stuff I grew up with. I, and we talked in the your podcast about wallpaper. It's like, no, 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 I don't want any of that antiques. I don't want wallpaper, but Michael was really into all of his antique things. And so we did a compromise, uh, when we lived on that waterfront, uh, my waterfront triplex up in, in Edmonds, Washington. And it, it was nice, but it just, it still wasn't me. And I, I look back at that and I think, eh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll find somebody that loves, you know, the same style stuff that I kind of, I'm a little bit zenny and, and what, not zany, zenny, you know, zen. But I like, I like clean. I like modern. If I were with someone, you know, we would, of course, you know, have share meals. We'd stay over. We'd vacation together. We'd do things together. But we just wouldn't be together twenty four seven. And maybe that's what I want. Then I met Rick, and I thought, okay, well, this looks pretty good. I think maybe, yeah, I don't need to go the other way. Well, maybe that's the key to successful relationship is doing what you just said. Because I think you're not the only one who's had problems in a relationship when it's becomes a little overbearing or, you know, COVID was a lot. You know, I ate more than I ever have because the person living in my apartment also he needed to eat nine times a day. And I don't eat, usually eat that way, you know? And so I used to go a little crazy in COVID because you're in a place with someone all the time when you didn't ask right. for this. So maybe that is the right thing to do for some relationships you know. But that could change tomorrow if I met yeah. somebody. So I don't know. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm open and I'm not dogmatic about I have to have something one way or another. That's what I'm saying. So you are learning that my way or the highway is not going to work? Right. So you think, I think we're learning here that growing up happens in all stages of life. People can change. I've always wondered if people can change. You know, it's always that one question like... um, People get so upset with their ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. And this topic gets talked about quite a bit is can people actually change their I behavior? I think people can grow. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. We didn't talk about it. But with all those people that have stayed with me, you know, a lot of them were millennials. Are you a millennial? I don't I'm know. I'm an elder millennial. You're an elder? Wow. <laughs> okay. That's what this but, comedian um, girl says, Eliza. You know, I elder. think when you surround yourself with younger people with their ideas. And I mean, I mean, you were in my place with all these people from all over the world. I mean, they tell even your situation talking about, you know, Iran and, and everything like that. You know, you hear all these stories, you hear about countries, you hear about cultures, the way of thinking, and it expands you. And so that, you know, people say, well, you don't act your age. Well, good. I don't want to act my age. <laughs> I don't want to sit home on a couch and watch TV. I don't, as you notice, I don't even have a TV in the house. There's, I think, one in the closet I haven't looked yeah, at I've in noticed. six months. I love it. So no TV. I mean, I, I stay active. I mean, I tell people some of the stuff I do and they go, I mean, it tires them out hearing about it, literally. <laughs> yeah. Because I've got a lot going on. I know you do. Oh my gosh, I know you do. I wish... Honestly, you're motivating. Some people could talk about doing stuff and I come over here and you have learned how to do it at the same time, fixing your entire house, your backyard, your patio, your bedroom, your floors. I mean, you're, you're one man band of <laughs> jack of all trades, you know? There you go. Um, okay. So I am a millennial. Just looked it up. It's 1981 to 1996. I am a millennial. Well, congratulations. But it makes me this laugh. This girl comedian does a whole bit on her 
Her Netflix special is called Elder Millennial because she's like on the cuff. Oh, wow. And I always laugh at that because millennials are creepy. No, it's they're a, not. So, but I, but, oh, they're getting to, listen, I am totally with you. I understand you on the energy that the youth bring. I have dated younger men, as you know. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. And you know, you know my ex-boyfriend. You, know, you saw how tasty and intelligent he could be. So I understand completely. I love it. I also, people always ask me, like, don't you want to date an older guy? You know, this isn't right for you. You have to have kids. They have to have a job. They have to be this. And yeah, yeah. The, the younger kids also have jobs. And now we're finding the young kids are making pretty good money also. If you see yep. this in the world that we live in with NFTs and all this nonsense. But also it's that Oh, by the way, if you, if you find a gay... I mean, I could go for a sugar baby here. Oh, shit, a sugar baby? <laughs> Take care of me. Come on. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm looking for a sugar baby too. <laughs> yeah, that's the new... Hopefully that's the new year. It's all about sugar babies. Because they're fun. I... I, I with, I'm with you on that. Sometimes I hang out with people my own age and um, people my own age actually all have kids by now. All my friends have kids. So I'm already the black sheep and the pretty behind on the adulting family life. Right. But I've probably done everything else experience wise in the world. And we'll see 10, now you can, 10%. if you feel like settling down, you can. Yeah. But it, unlike some of the others that, you know, they went from, high school to college, married somebody they knew that was in their circle. They've got four kids now and, you know, they're going to go through their life and they're going to check out, you know, it was funny when I was in real estate up in Seattle, it, it was, it just blew my mind because people worked at Boeing and I would say, well, we, I need to come and, you know, we, it was before DocuSign and that, but, uh, I need to get your initial on this change on the contract on the house they were buying. Well, okay, well, you, you can come. On. My break is from 10.30, no, 10.27 to 10.32. Can you come then? Oh, you know, and God. I couldn't live that way. That's so gross. Oh, my no. God, me either. You know that. But anyway, what I was getting at is so these same people that are in that in that rut, and we talked about this earlier when we were sitting out for when you're talking this afternoon. So people do that. They look forward to the day they retire and they're going to travel someday. And so how many times have I heard this story? So they retire and a week later, one of them drops dead and they haven't done anything. And you look at, look at all that you've got under your belt. You visited how many countries? 30 something. Over 30. <laughs> yeah. But I want more. It's only. Okay. Well, don't, don't the stop fire. till you're, till you're ready to stop. That's what I say. I just want to keep going. I'm motivated now. Whenever I come back from place i feel more motivated in every direction in life what would you say was the best like moment of your life one of your i know you always say you need to travel more but what is one favorite memory of yours on anything can be anything that's not fair that one's tough okay well, Why don't we say the say, last you're 10 to years? Say the birth of your child I know. when you were there. You know, okay, yeah. But I know how much yeah, you were, love those three boys. If they are listening, I want you to know he loves you very much. He, every time I hang out with Jim, he talks about his boys, and now he's going to go visit one of them. Right. Creating stuff. You know, I love that. So that that's a great feeling. I mean, during COVID, I redid my entire backyard, and I self-published six books. That was creating. I love doing that. I love meeting new people. I love doing this podcast because I've always, I've always been a storyteller or a listener in what I've done. I mean, my, my first book, you know, where I, I asked people, you know, I dug into their stories, find out, found out the words that represented their secret, their fear, something nobody knew about it. And I wrote it on their bodies and then I photographed them and it's called Naked Truth. And it was their secret. But, you know, each page in that book is a story. As I'm doing the podcast, I'm bringing people in and I'm hearing their stories. I want to hear their story. I love it. I learn, I, I always learn from everybody. I mean, there's so many things I, I couldn't pick one, one best thing that's happened to me. I mean, it's, it's the best time every time somebody new comes because the universe always brings the right people to me at the right time. And I learn something from them. And I, we usually have a, I mean, I'd say 99% of the time we have a blast with people that stay here, you know, and now it's Airbnb. It's not couch surfing, but the friends I meet, the people I'm interviewing now, I'm doing interviews on this myself. Now you have me in the hot seat today, but you know, I'm, I'm interviewing people and then they 
say, oh, my friend has this story. And I go, oh, great. Give me give me their contact info. And then I, I talk to them. I have them over. We sit and chat for a little while. And then we just come into the interview cold. No, I had one guy today say, send me the questions ahead of time. Well, I'm not going to do that because I don't even know what the questions are until I sit down with them. Yeah. Just like you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty but much. You, you've been mulling this over for a while because you wanted to, well, just for the listeners. So Ideen wanted to bring a crew and video me with my couch surfers for a TV pilot for a reality show. And I don't know if we want to put that on here because we might do it someday, but. <laughs> Jim's house, Jim's house. There you go. Yep. Now, I always say never a dull moment here. And, it, and it, there are very few dull moments. Yeah. No, I'm keeping it PG rated because that's what Wilkinson told me to do. But right. um, I can make this R real quick. Well, let's not do that. I'm keeping that for my next host switch flip. <laughs> hmm. So for now, we're keeping it G rated. But I like that. I like that answer. It, it really is a lot of fun hanging out with you. So I know that that was a tough question. Amongst all the things that you do, which you do, do a lot of video, you do a lot of photography. Right. How is it that you jumped from being this man of the church, father, husband, not realizing you're gay until, I don't know, you said 1999, but you know, your, your topic and focus is men, right? Your brand is. Well, my photography is primarily, I do have one book of women though. You know that. Yeah. And I have a couple other ones. One, one I did, uh, I rode my bike when we first went into lockdown in Palm Springs. I, I rode my bike around Palm Springs because you could go out and quote unquote recreate, you know, away from everybody. And I, I actually took all the photos of the town absolutely empty. I did it on my cell phone and I processed them and uh, put them into a book. And it's 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 a really cool book. But that that's not men. That's just something different. Yeah, it's, it's capturing a moment in time. And again, what it comes back to is that's a story. That's a story of what happened when they locked us down. And that's yeah. what Palm Springs look, look like at that point. It'll probably never look like that again, hopefully. But for that moment in time, I think it was April, that that's what it looked like. And so I, I caught that story in that book. Can you find that book on your website? It's on Blurb, B-L-U-R-B. It's, it's self-published. I, I, I want to do something different. You know, what, what do they call it? I mean, NFTs? Yeah, well. I, I want to, I've got hundreds of thousands of photos and projects and stuff. And I think I'm going to put some something together and I'm going to explore that. That's one of the next things I want to do. I think if you added a bunch of your current ones, but if you added all those together, you can make a mural and make that an NFT. That's an idea. So it's a collection of photos, which is an NFT. I've seen some girls sell this online. How much? <laughs> well, she put it up for quite a high bid, but she has a lot of followers on YouTube. But what I was trying to get at is you kind of dove into this passion and this all around persona pretty deep. You know, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends are gay, um, but not all of them are as passionate about it as like you have male photos all over the house, but they're no, art. I actually don't. But if someone were to come here, art. I don't. You're look. you're, we're actually recording this in my bedroom suite. <laughs> and there's that's where beautiful. the sound, and there, but there's one photo in this well, room. Well, since that I've I known took, you, the art that, has graduated. Yeah. Like we're yeah. looking at some beautiful I'm, male art against. Right. But there's not much back here. Yeah. And, and I pretty well, I call it degaying the house. So degaying the I degayed the house. Yeah. So See, there's, there's stuff back here in my, in my suite, but that's about it. But, you know, I was thinking about something. You asked about when did I become creative? And I, I thought of another aspect of it. The house we're sitting in right now, this is my 23rd remodel of a house. Wow. And so when I was married, I think that was primarily my creative outlet, was buying places, having a vision for them, fixing them up, and then selling them. So, you know, eventually. So that uh, I think I think that was my primary creative outlet when I was married. You've done an epic job at this house. Thank you. You literally are, you do not stop. <laughs> I, I don't go on Facebook often, but when I do, it's like an episode of Jim, Jim's sitcom. I'm like, what he's doing this week to make his house even more beautiful and elegant. Except starting in last October, I stopped posting my life on Facebook. I don't do that anymore. I will occasionally post something that's happened. 
and I'm putting the podcast info on there, but I, I came to a point where social media, I was pretty well done with it. Now I've got with a podcast and uh, my Airbnb, I mean, I'm on there with pages and stuff and I, and I do spend time on that. And of course I'm on the internet doing the podcast itself, but I don't post my life on it anymore. So that, that's another change for me. What was, what was, yeah, what was the reasoning for that? What, what made you crack? Well, when I was with Rick, and it was genuine. I mean, we had such a fantastic time the time we were together. And I was posting all those. Now, if you're single and you're looking at that, then you're thinking I'm bragging. you know. And I look back and, you know, who knows? Nobody's motivation is 100% pure. But I look back at that and I look at the things I'm doing. And I, and I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? And I look at other people's lives. In fact, I think probably three or four years ago, at my New Year's post was a message to people and it was it was a wish for them. And I said, may, may your new year be half as good as your Facebook projects you to, it to be. That really is the way it is yeah. because everybody, especially now with filters and everything, good Lord, <laughs> come on, really? And I mean, I never did filtering and all that stuff, but I, why, why put that on there? I mean, the people that know me, know me. People that are in my life are in my life, and that's good enough for me. So it sounds like it was a good decision. But I still see you on Facebook. No, I'm not saying I'm off. I'm saying it's changed. I'm not posting my life story on there anymore. I posted, you know, I'm, I sold, I'm selling the BMW convertible. Part of that was to put the word out that car is going to be for sale. But you won't sell to friends. This well, is what's confusing. Well, no, but they friends, I have wanted... fr- friends have friends. You don't want that car. This is... No. No one. I'm not selling a used car to anybody I know. Not close. But someone you know sold you a used car. That's different. See, I'm just going to point out how Wilkinson is a hypocrite. I knew the vehicle. Yeah, I know. I'm a hypocrite. You are. (laughs) (laughs) Rick sold you this car, and that's a lover of yours and a friend, and you are ex-lover and friend, and you won't send. I asked about your car, and you were like, no. I'm like, wait, but that's not fair. And you said, no, Wilkinson. I don't want to deal with it. So that's my choice. Hope everyone's listening at home. (laughs) So, all right. So you're off social media. I'm also not very good at social media, but I'm realizing that it does affect my life because a lot of jobs and opportunities are now on social media. And I'm just too bad. You know why? Because I'm an elder millennial. I'm on that. I don't care. I don't see you as an elder. I know. I just think it's so funny to say this, but I really don't feel like attached to my phone, attached to social media. I don't post my life on it anymore. So there definitely is an age gap when I see girls in their twenties taking selfies. What is funny about now and before is now you have Airbnb, whereas before it was couch surfing. So now it's not so easy to just come crash with Wilkinson Co. So like, how can someone hang out with you if they want to get a part of the get a piece of the pie. How can they stay here at your place? Cause it's a beautiful place. Um, you do have it on Airbnb. It is in Palm Springs. You have three beautiful uh, rooms. You don't oh. use the app anymore. Couch surfing, right? So no, I'm, I, I left my reviews and that's all. But you're the, leaving the- everything behind Facebook, Instagram, couch surfing. <laughs> Wilkinson is like, bam. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Yep. Forget Jim, Jim who I'm gone. Yep. F you, F you, F you. I'm out. Shh. Don't say that. We're going to be G-rated. I kept it G. Okay. All right. Um, That's that's like what happened to what happened to Jim? People change. People (laughs) progress. People grow. That's just part of the process. That's all. That's that's the way I look at it. I think you're ready for Burning Man. Could be. If you're setting journals on fire in 1999, I think you're (laughs) you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. I don't even recognize you anymore. This Wilkinson guy. He's a new person. Well, I've met a lot of interesting people here, and I've spent. Especially during COVID, I've spent dozens and dozens and dozens of hours listening to different podcasts. You know, I've learned a lot. There's a couple of favorites I've got, and I, you know, I've learned so much from them. And I think it, it helps if you have an open heart and an open mind, it helps you change, which is what I want. I want, I want, I always want to keep growing upward. You have been doing that. Every time I meet you, you have a new skill that you have learned. <laughs> I think it's editing, editing photos, editing videos. Now you got a drone. Yeah, I haven't done that. Drone You're self-taught. Yet. I would I, say I've got to get a license. Uh, I need a mini pilot's license, I guess, for those. But I know you don't do it. But I follow the law. Some of us don't. Do you follow the law? <laughs> yeah, I Jim do. did. Jim followed the law. I'm not sure about Wilkinson. Well, though. I don't know about 
the drone thing. We'll see. I, th- I think I can get a license on that. It's fine. I can't be filming here, huh? Nope. You used to have this no no clothes policy outside your house. No one could wear their clothes. Is that still active here at the I never Palm had Springs that residence? policy. I have a clothing optional, clothing. and I only have guys here. You're the exception. Me and my friend got topless last time we were here. Excuse me. I thought it was supposed to be my interview. You're making me keep it G-rated. All right. All right. Well, what I was going to say was that if anyone does want to visit Jim's house. I will put the link for my Airbnb. Yeah. I feel like basically California has been a little bit of a burning man for you, but in like a in a hotter version here. Well, actually, same temp, but like in a gayer environment. Well, I, I've always slowly, I've said like over for time. me- Southern California is very woo-woo. Yeah. By that, I mean, you've got massage, you've got yoga, you've got all this energy work, Reiki, everything going on. But you're diving deep you know, into all these. Yeah, okay, and you've going. got, you know, I had a sound bath, Yeah, you know, massage I love sound a while baths. back. Don't you yeah, love them, it's though? It's so cool. Yeah. But I, I mean, I never did any of that stuff in Seattle. Exactly. Take a little yeah. bit. Listen, so basically what I was trying to say is I think that because you have been here, Right. You have been doing this little by little by little. That's why you're saying all these things you're saying. You are now a Californian. Right. Truly. You're like, I don't need to live with the person I love. They can be further apart. That's the hippie in you that's coming Wait, out. Wait, do I have to get, I have to learn valley girl language? No, we can stay. <laughs> yeah. That's not a requirement because that's so annoying. Okay. But I think you're, yeah, I, you're, it's legal. You, you do, you know, munch on a little bit of edibles from time to time. Hello. Hello. <laughs> You know, you talk about maybe possibly entertaining the idea of doing ayahuasca. I think you're ready for Burning Man. You know, Burning Man is a gay like, man's party like anyway. Dust. I don't like dust. Oh, I don't like and dust. And I want to take a shower. I don't like dust. If well, you get me an RV, hook me up with somebody that has a nice RV and a shower and I'll think about it. Trust me, the whole place is all rich gay guys. They all have RVs. This is what we always say about Burning Man. It's a gay man's party. We're all just invited. I swear to you, when you get there and you see these these artworks of giant dicks and you're just like, oh, wait, are we allowed to be here? You realize yeah. like this, they did this. They organized this. That's why it's so beautiful and pretty. Well, that's probably not a piece of art I'm going to purchase to bring home, to be yeah. honest. Well, <laughs> you might well fall, I don't think they're for sale anyway. You there. might fall in love at Burning Man. I might. But I seriously, I don't like dust and I don't like extreme heat. So. But you have to do stuff you do not like. This is what I tell every guy I'm in a relationship with. Every person that I see is struggling with some kind of pain within their family or their spouse or whatever. I, I say this so much and I honestly want people to understand it. And sometimes I think, I used to think it was geared just to, towards white people because I thought they were just too privileged. But now I realize it's everyone. You have to do stuff you do not like. That is part of life. Remember earlier today when I said you could be meaner to your kids? I grew up Iranian. Our parents were honest and mean to us and we took it. And you know what? That's okay. Nowadays, I see parents acting like their kid makes the rules of the house. It's insane. They're waiting for him to respond and buttering them up and letting them act wild in stores and planes. No, 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 no. You discipline your kids. I'm not saying you smack them around. I'm saying you be a parent. That mentality can be used for all things. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know what? I was a good, I am a good parent and I was a good parent. However, w- another thing I've learned is to respect where someone else is, including my sons and say, that's where they're at right now. And that's okay. That's where I'm coming from on that. I don't need to foist my opinion on them. Yes, I should tell them if something's affecting me and that that happens, but I'm saying I don't need to be dogmatic about anything and tell them anything because they're, they're all adults. They all have they're married, they have kids of them their own. And so I don't need to have them think the way I think. They don't have to do that. That's true. And that's a beautiful way of thinking. But back to the actual motto of this thing was, is that people need to do stuff they do not like to do. You do that stuff for your spouse. You do that for your children. You do that for truly everybody, right? Do we like going to school when we're young? No, we have to do that. Why? Because that's what our parents want us to do. Yada, 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 yada. Over time, this theory applies towards everything. Seriously, I've done so many things I don't, don't want to do. I have to go to Burning Man. Yeah, you don't have to go to Burning Man. But if I, you know, if I have to listen to my boyfriend tell this boring story for the whole time, you know, I do it because you're like, I love okay. them. It makes them happy. Right. Let's do it. I get it. 
So anyway, go to Burning Man. Stop complaining. <laughs> I don't like sand. Oh, my God. Anywho. Anywho. I think we're running out of time. All right. Well, thank you so for you being wrap, on my show, Wilkinson. And you got to wrap this up on your show. <laughs> thank your you for show, being on my show. You're like a yacker. Good Lord. This is longer than any podcast I've ever done. Well, I'd like to ask 20 more questions. However, they're not PG rated. So let me know next time you're, you know, I think Wilkinson in two more weeks is going to be a little more open. I see that it's getting wider and wider as the year goes on. So Mm. I'll catch you at the end of the year. We'll see. I have a good feeling about it. All right. Well, thank you for opening up. That's all I asked for. Thank you for putting me in the hot seat. We'll see you next time. Okay. Love you. Love you too.